program is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views expressed are those of the panelists and not necessarily those of Sengents, Glamour Connection, Van Garrett Media, their respective management, contractors, or employees. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media. Welcome to the Share Your Hotness Podcast. Share your hotness. Now, here's your host, Lita Green. Hello, Adam. Okay. (laughs) Why we have editors, right? (laughs) That's exactly right. Okay. Okay. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Share Your Hotness with your host, Lita Green, and my guest, Elise Smith. So we have known each other for several years from networking, and I've been on your group, your entrepreneurial group that's like for faith-based women, kind of doing this too, but live. So... (laughs) All the, all the more pressure. Uh, I'm teasing because you, neither you nor I would be nervous if it were live. We're like, let's do this. Yeah. Um, but you, other than being a successful businesswoman and being in your passion and doing other things, you have the story of how you became. So let's get into it. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks so much, Lita. Of course. Okay, so tell everyone a little bit about you. Get, get them all invested in, in you. Awesome. Sounds good. So um, I am a Christian business strategist uh, and I am a mom of a pup son who is just this little furball. He's called Spike, even though he's just a little furball. We like irony in our family. <laughs> uh, my hubby and I have been married for 15 years coming up in like 10 days. Uh, so that's exciting. And I live in Utah um, and I, yeah, I just, I love to be crafty and um, sing and all sorts of random stuff. <laughs> okay. So for your 15, do you have like big epic plans? I mean, we're just going back to Albuquerque where we met. And so we're going to go do some church things out there. And um, we're going to just hang out and eat all the delicious food that's in New Mexico because we really miss the food. Because the food is fantastic. (laughs) So what were you doing in Albuquerque? Is that where you grew up or... Yeah. So I grew up in Orem here in Utah, um, but I had to get away from my crazy family. Uh, they were actually abusive. Um, and oh, so I'm sorry. Uh, I laughed. I was like, ah, oh, you're yeah. fine. No, yeah. no, no. It's okay. It's part no, of my I journey. left two days after graduating from high school. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sometimes we all have kind of crazy families we have to get away from, huh? Yeah. You know, yeah. But, yeah. And then, you know, my hubby was leaving his crazy family as well. And we both ended up in Albuquerque. My cousin was living out there at the time. And so, um, I felt like I had known someone out there and, and, uh, yeah, so that's why we went out there. And I feel like it was really God sent because that's where I met my hubby and really found myself in the process. I mean, there's just so much you learn after leaving home, uh, regardless of good or bad circumstances, you really find who you are. Yeah, absolutely. So why Albuquerque? I mean, I kind of (laughs) having been to Albuquerque, I love the whole like desert scene and like the peace of it, but there's like a little bit of a granola, you know, I guess what we would call a granola when I was young, you know, the, the crunchy, you know, natural. So is that, is that your inner you? Oh, I have never been a fan of desert. Like, even though I live in Utah, like I've just never been a fan of like desert, like Arizona, New Mexico kind of look, but I went there because I had, I had family who I knew could support me. Um, and I mean, it's kind of weird because it actually ended up like I ended up being homeless out there because things didn't work out and it was just an insane story, but that's where I felt drawn to be. And, and that's where I was. So the family that you thought could be supportive were, were, also not supportive. So they like kicked you out and pretty much. Yeah. Unfortunately, the person that I moved in with that I've always looked up to, um, she, I found out that she was having an affair on her husband and she was so ashamed that she kicked me out. And I just lived in a church parking lot for a couple of days and tried to, you know, put my life back together. Cause not months of homelessness. Yeah. Just a couple of days. Yeah. yeah. Which um, felt like a couple of months. I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I lived out of my car for a semester, but I always joke it was on the big, bad streets of Provo, Utah. So <laughs> not really, not really. Still, though. No, it was, I mean, I wasn't, but as a trucker's daughter, that was actually pretty normal to me to oh, live really? out of a vehicle. So yeah. um, it wasn't till later that I was like, oh, I technically didn't have a place to live. Huh. But, you know, 
you know, I, I got this image of you like fighting off crack dealers. So not, not, <laughs> not me. Not. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone knows me, that's not me. <laughs> no, that, that, I was kind of making a joke. Cause <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, Cause it, it's funny and you know, we could, we could laugh at things. Right. Yeah, so sure. where did you go after having a couple of days of, of homeless in the big bad streets of the church parking lot? Yeah. See how I made a joke there? Yep, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> No, it is, it is good to be able to look back on it and be like, wow, you know, that's it made us who we are. And that's just, we can laugh about it, but for sure. And uh, I mean, it really just turned, I mean, I was in the church parking lot, so I was kind of figuring out what I wanted to do. And I just met my roommate there and we decided to find a rental and we got a rental home right across the street from the university and started to put my life back together. Thank goodness. So now how old were you at this time, Elise? 21. Okay. So yeah. you'd stayed in your hometown, um, but had moved out of your parents' home at. Yeah. So I moved down to my parents' home around 18. I actually, um, decided to build my own house at 18 <laughs> and like you like, I mean, you building it, like you get the two by four or like <laughs> no, no, paid no. someone else to build it. Okay. Yeah. I paid someone else to build it. I don't know how they trusted an 18 year old to pay a house payment of like 1650 a month. Yeah. So as I, as I started to get further and further away from the abuse, they started to control things a whole lot more. And so I moved out into my own house and they didn't like that. And so they started threatening my life and all this just crazy stuff. <laughs> and <laughs> excuse me. Um, basically it turned into that I had to get a protective order against them and they broke it. And so then I was like, I'm not safe here. And then I moved to Albuquerque. Did you sell so, your house? Uh, the person who was living. So the way that we did it is I I lived in the upstairs with a roommate and then I, <laughs> excuse me, sorry, stairs. Um, so then I uh, basically rented out the basement of the house. So we made it into a, a basement apartment rental. So they took it over for a little bit. They were able to pay the house payment for about a year. Um, and then they had some issues. And so I lost the house. It was about to go into foreclosure while I was in Albuquerque and somebody bought it and it saved me from that. And it was just a huge miracle for me. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So it all, it all, it all turned out well. So what took your husband to Albuquerque? You said he had a crazy family. So was that like yeah. this bonding thing for the two of you when you started hanging out? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we kind of, you feel broken in that situation. And so when you find somebody else who's also feeling broken, I feel like you can heal better together. You know, like I had seen therapists and things like that, but until I met my husband, like after I met him, I didn't need therapy anymore. Like him and I could just talk through the things that had happened and we were each other's strengths. And I think that bonded us in a way that we probably wouldn't have had outside of that. Yeah. Well, I'm a big fan of therapy, but yes, I think having healthy people in our lives is, or, or I should say, because it's not like you're either unhealthy or healthy. It's a spectrum, you know, yeah, so people committed sure. to being on the healthy side of the spectrum are, are good. Cause I'm crazy and my husband's crazy, but it's a delightful crazy. <laughs> yeah. Amen. We're right there. <laughs> You know, but it's, it's hard even under normal circumstances to combine any two families, you know, different ideas and different ways of being. But when you're open to like, maybe this isn't the best way of being, mm -hmm. that's, I think, the good framework to being like, what would we be together? Yes. And I think that's what really helped us to build a strong foundation in our marriage because we didn't have anybody else like that scripture of clinging to each other. Like that's what we had to do and, and leaving our parents and all of that. We'd already done that, but to cleave to each other, cause that's all we had. I think that really helped us. It was a huge blessing, not the funnest at the time. Cause it's like, okay, well, how are we going to pay rent? And you know, what are we going to do? But those moments help you to grow closer together. Right, right. So how long did you guys stay in Albuquerque? Um, I was there for five years total. I think after we got married, it was like two years that we stayed there. Um, and then we moved back to Utah. We, we were kind of figuring out like we could live anywhere in the whole world. Where do we want to live? <laughs> and what were you guys we, doing for work? 
Um, so I was just a telemarketer on like a at home kind of telephone job, right. so nothing too special. Um, and then he was a guard at an air traffic control center. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. It's work. So, we never did. We never discount any form of work. It's all oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, especially when you're first married, you don't have like career aspirations or anything. Right. Right. So, well, um, and you're 20, 21, 22. uh Yeah. So the younger you get married, you know, the more likely you're going to be figuring it out and that's okay. Exactly. Yeah. So, so we kind of came up with a couple of places, like we had our list of things we were looking for and, and Chris has always not liked Utah just because of the stigma here. <laughs> and, uh, and it's funny cause I grew up here and so I love Utah. And, um, so one day he was like, well, how about Ogden, Utah? And I was like, well, you know, that's in Utah, right? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, but I feel like we're meant to go to Ogden, Utah. And I was like, oh, I like Utah. Let's go. So we, we set a date and, and it's funny when you set a date, an intention, uh, it seems like the whole universe tries to stop you from, you know, achieving that thing. Uh Uh, And we tried to get jobs and we went on a whole bunch of like, we didn't really do zoom back then, (laughs) but a whole bunch of telephone interviews and things like that. And we had no job when we decided to move. It was like, okay, May 15th, that's the date we need to move. And it doesn't matter what's happening. We moved without jobs and, so we just trusted the Lord and the Lord provided. Well, it's because they knew you were some kind of desert woo-woo person from Albuquerque <laughs> and not they saw you or they like, oh, okay. okay. Yeah, we can trust her now. <laughs> yeah, she, she doesn't uh, put deodorant on with patu- patu- patui, pat- pat- you know, what's that desert herb? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, obviously I, I'm, I'm losing my, uh, my desert roots because I love to me, there's something spiritual about orange dirt. It like it makes me happy. It's yeah. just in my, in my heart. And for years we thought there was native American and ancestry in our family, but I'm starting to doubt that I need to do the genetic test, but I'm starting to doubt it, which is, which is really sad. And then I would be really sad to find out that I was really just a white person. That would be really disappointing. So <laughs> the mysteries may be better. <laughs> just believe what you want to believe it works. No, right? like, no, literally, like, I'd be so sad if I were just like, just a white mutt, you know, it'd just be really disappointing. Um, so I'll just live in my delusions. So um, you guys move up here. Did you find work that was more in a career path or yeah so I decided so I when we were in in college like when right before we moved um I was going to uh University of New Mexico and I was getting my elementary education degree um because I always wanted to be an elementary just education or school teacher right and uh the things that they taught just really didn't align with my beliefs um and I didn't we didn't want to raise a family there it was very like it was just not a good place to live at the time for us, right? Like it's a beautiful place, but beautifully and diplomatically very... said, well done, Elise. <laughs> it was just very uh, not safe. Um, there was a lot of like killings that happened where we were living, and I mean, it was just very scary. We didn't want to love live how it. you're like. So my family was crazy, and then later it's like, oh, death threats, and you're like, oh, it didn't align with my beliefs. There were like like, like a lot of killings. I think maybe we need to work on your uh, spectrum of what's crazy and not aligning. I know, I know. I would flat out reject um, death threats and killing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. That being I said, I lived in Washington D.C. when it was the murder capital of the United States. So you know that that's fun. Yeah. Saw a couple of uh, dead oh bodies gosh. and not in a hospital. So yeah, that yikes. You know that that kind of sticks with you. And I don't yeah. like violence or. Yeah. Oh, me you know, yeah. I like a good musical, you know, so, yeah. um, lucky stuff. <laughs> so you, you were, go, you were saying about your career yeah. finding, um, resume. Yep. So yeah. I started, uh, going to school out there and in the, just the things that they were teaching in the public schools, I didn't really agree with. And, and it just didn't really align with with who I am. And like I said, we didn't want to raise a family there. And so we knew we needed to leave. So when I transferred, I tried to transfer all my credits. I was like 
one semester and one year of student teaching away from getting my degree. Uh, then when we moved to Ogden, I decided to continue with that, but I found that hardly anything transferred. Like the very basics, I pretty much almost had to start all over. And it's, it's funny how we put you know, ourselves on a path and then all of a sudden a new path comes along because we put ourselves on that path. And that's exactly what happened is I just told myself like, okay, I'll go back to school if that's what God wants me to do. But there was another job that came up and it was in the insurance industry. And I kind of worked my way up the ladders from there. And then I moved into coaching from that point on. And so it was not like, I don't really have a desire to be in elementary education anymore, but um, teacher. Yeah, still a teacher, still get to teach amazing people. And, and there's still that heart behind it of, of service. And so I get to just do it in a different way now. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I have so many, you know, that movie sliding doors Mm -hmm. where, you know, one, one door is one thing and in her life and this different life path. And if she stayed with the abusive guy versus like the other door that she goes through. Right. And I, I think I could have had like eight lives of different things I was interested in. Of course that could be my ADHD, but um, (laughs) I, you know, it's so fun to, you know, talk to young people and be like, just keep working on you Mm -hmm. because everything will play into where you're going to be and what's going to be awesome for you. Yeah. Agreed. You know, just keep working on you. It'll be fine. There, the the path of you know, go to school, get the job, work there for forty years. You know, it's not really, it doesn't really work like that anymore. Yeah, yeah, for you sure. Know, it's kind of crazy. So, um, with your coaching, I know that it's faith based mm-hmm. that you're doing. How how did you decide to get that niched? Yeah. Uh, so I, I was on a plane one time I, for my job. I was going back and forth from Utah to Texas every other week for six years. So I got a lot of time on the plane with God <laughs> reading like scriptures and all sorts of different things. Right. And one day I was reading a book by Jack Canfield called success principles, which is an awesome book. Highly recommend it. And he was talking about that. The most successful people are the ones who love what they do. They're good at what they do. And it pays them pretty good money basics. But I, in that moment, I was like coaching, like that is, I've already helped so many people in uh, the corporate world to achieve their sales goals and, you know, their business goals and things like that, that I know I could do this outside of that. And so I decided to get my CPC with the International Coaching Federation and, you know, do it right kind of thing more for me than no one cares that I'm a CPC. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Well, but it's, it's, more for me. Know, it's good to have the certifications. Like I'm in the national speaker association. Yeah. Um, you know, it's good to hit certain mile markers and guidelines and have signed a code of ethics and things like that of how you conduct yourself in that industry. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I learned so much there. I thought I was a good coach before. And then now I figured out why I was doing the things that I was doing and it took me to a whole new level. So I love that love coaching. Um, but basically when I got done with that, I could coach anyone on anything. And I was of course having a really difficult time growing my business because I said, Oh yeah, I can help anyone with anything. That's not a good marketing play, by the way. <laughs> no, I, I laugh because the speakers that say I can speak on any topic. And I just turned down a speech the other day that wasn't in my niche. And they're like, but we really want you and your energy. And I'm like, okay, but that's not what I speak on. Mm-hmm. So you would be the Guinea pig and you're paying me to be the Guinea pig, you know, to be for you to be my Guinea pig. And that's not really fair to you. Yeah. Exactly. And it doesn't work to grow a business that way. Like you have to get niche specific. You have to really speak to that person. And the thing is, is like, okay, so I knew that I was going to be a coach and I knew I wanted to coach in business because I have been a business. I've been an entrepreneur since I was like, I don't know, 10. (laughs) I've just had so many different experiences with business that I really wanted to make sure I could empower women to women because I know women. Sorry, man. I don't know you very well. (laughs) I know my husband, but that's about it. Right. 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 Um, Right. And so I can connect really well. And so I didn't want them to give up on their goals and dreams. There are so many women who start businesses and then they let go of them because they get really frustrated and don't know how to control their emotions or their thoughts or co-create, you know, what they want to have with God or whatever they believe in. Right. And so that's the path that I went down as business women. And it hit me one day. I was like, you know, I, 
find myself naturally talking to God about every, you know, to everyone. Right. And I just can't help it. Even when I'm coaching, it's like, Oh, have you read this scripture or something? And I decided to own it. And I started as faith-based of just kind of moving into that realm. And then I just owned that Christian space because I was tired of saying, you know, the universe or kind of just looking at it from that standpoint. Now, when I'm talking to a broader audience, I have no problem doing that. But when I'm talking to Christians, I want to talk about God. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about, you know, Christ and that kind of thing. And so uh, that's where it really came is I knew I could not have gotten the success that I have had up to that point, even um, without God. And I knew that that's the only way that I can really empower Christian women entrepreneurs is for them to partner with God in what they're doing. And it just took off from there. Awesome. That's so cool. I love it. So how old were you when you're, when that happened, that I'm just going to focus on Christian faith-based coaching? Yeah. Uh, I would say about 30 years old. Okay. Well, that's, that's pretty, I think that's pretty young to find your passion in life and yeah. you can do that for the next however many years. And, you know, I always think it's funny when they say, you know, if you find something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And I think that's hilarious because I, I work. Mm-hmm. You know, and if, if I had a billion dollars, I would be traveling nonstop, you know, <laughs> like, you know, Amen. Be, you know, oh, let's go to Bali. Uh, you know, let's, you know, just, I would just be all over the place. So obviously uh, you can't get a job that I'm aware of that lets you do whatever you want every day of the moment, every moment of the day, but there is a spiritual principle behind doing something you're impassioned and something that is work and the consistency that it takes to create something that is in your passion. Yeah. It's still work, but there's still the passion behind it. And so it doesn't feel like a grind. And I think that's the difference. Like, I hate that word grind. Like we shouldn't grind our way to success. We should work at it, but be joyful along the way because we get to, I get to live my passion every single day. Right. Well, that's how I feel about working out. And that's why I have a little extra is because it's a grind to me, (laughs) but I don't see myself ever really retiring. Mm -hmm. I see me working part-time and traveling more, right. But still having the fun now too. Okay. So, um, you said you had a great story and you have not told me the story (laughs) of, um, you know, overcoming. And so let's, because we've given a little bit of background into who you are. Um, Let's go into that story of how you found joy, even in difficult circumstances. Absolutely. And, and I think from the abusive childhood and all of that, like that has, I've always turned to God in those moments and that's brought me joy, but it's funny, you go through a really difficult trial and you're like, well, that's it. Right. Like, I mean, you know, that that's the big one. I shouldn't have to face any others. (laughs) And that's not how it works by the way. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I thought that I went through this really difficult trial of, of the abusive situation in my childhood, but then as I got older and my husband and I wanted to have kids, we just thought it would come naturally. Right. And, uh, you know, you see everybody, especially in some of the community and culture that, that I grew up in is that, you know, you get married at like 20, 21 and you start having kids at like 21, 22. Right. And so you're almost strange if you don't have kids at 36, like I am now. Um, and so, we just thought that it would happen naturally. And so we, we tried and tried and tried. And, and basically what had happened is, um, we were diagnosed with unexplained infertility, which is one of the hardest things because there's nothing you can do about it. Right. Like they have no reason why you can't get pregnant. You just can't get pregnant. Who knows how long it'll take, you know, or if it's even possible at all. So they don't know if it's you, if it's your spouse, if it's the combo of the two of you, Uh you just don't, No. Yeah, exactly. And so, and I wanted to be a mom ever since I was a little kid, like house was my favorite game. And I was always the mom and I was always holding the baby and you know, that kind of thing. And, and I, I know that God never puts anything on our heart that he's not willing to provide for us as we take the steps that, that we are meant to take, but there are some things we can't control. 
in this life. And that is so, so difficult, especially the timing of those things. And so, you know, we went through, um, we actually went through 10 IUIs, which are fertility treatments. They're not quite as evasive or intense as IVF, but we went through okay. 10 of those just so, knowing. Like, I know IVF is like super crazy expensive. Mm-hmm. And we actually yeah. had a guest on Shara Hutchinson, who shared her IVF journey, yeah. explain the difference of what you went through. You know, what, what is that? Yeah. Yeah. So IUI is basically their IUI. Mm-hmm. IUI. Okay. Uh-huh. It's uh, inter. Oh my heavens. Uterine insemination. Insemination. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uterine inseminations. <laughs> That's it. Um, and so basically what it is, is they're trying to take away the journey for the sperm to reach the egg essentially is what it is. Right. So they so. grab it from him mm-hmm. and, and teleport it. <laughs> to exactly. the egg. Okay. Yes. Yes. I mean, there's a take the journey away, but, yeah. but the joy is in the journey. Yeah. I'm just teasing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, there's lots of different phrases for it, but it's, yeah, it's a, it's supposed to kind of cut out some of the things that can possibly go wrong with trying to get pregnant. Right. Which by the way, I'm realizing that getting pregnant is a, is truly a miracle. I mean, like there are so many things that have to be lined up correctly Absolutely. to be able to get pregnant. Yep. So anyone who's holding that baby, like that baby is such a miracle. It's amazing. And if you made that baby or you adopted that uh-huh. baby, exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 That baby is still, or that child is still a miracle no matter what. But Absolutely. so, you know, we went through these 10 IUIs and there's just so much emotional strife when you go through a fertility journey, like one minute you're like, yes, this is going to work. And the next minute you're completely crushed. And to do it 10 times was really, really hard. We, now, how much is that a pop? Um, it was about $800 every yes. single time. So but, it wasn't not thousands, bad. but mm-hmm. yeah. now why did you go the IOI route instead of the IVF route? Is it because yeah. of money yeah. or because they, this is what they recommend to try first or. So they usually try like three rounds of IUI, but the doctor that we were working with was kind of like, well, just let me know when you're ovulating and you can come back in. Like, we didn't know that that's not a very good way to do it. And so when we found a new doctor who would trigger ovulation and kind of help to do ultrasounds and know more what was going on, we figure, okay, we need to give it three more tries. And then because I have like a tilted uterus or whatever yeah, it's called. Uterus, yeah. They're like, okay, well, Pro, let's try prolapse, it three more times. Uterus, is that what they call it? Um, well, so it's mine is kind of like, uh, one side won't take as well as another side kind of oh, thing. Okay. Okay. I don't know what it's called. There's too many fertility stuff for me to know. Magical mean little things they are. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, cleaning tubes and all this kind of stuff that we just figured that we probably would try, you know, three more times after the sixth time. And then that 10th time was just like, let's just try it again. My yeah. husband was pretty against IVF, uh, just cause he was so worried about all the chemicals and the medication and the process of it. And we, we took a break after that 10th IUI. I mean, that was just, I had had it. I was done. And I, I just remember turning to God and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I don't know why you keep putting me through this over and over and over again, when it doesn't give me the result that I'm looking for. And, and it was just, I could just got this piece of, don't worry, I've got your back. Like take a break. You don't need to do it right now, but when that time comes, you'll know. And so we took a break for a little while. Um, and everyone's always like, just take a break. It'll happen. Yeah. That didn't work for us, <laughs> but that's yeah. okay. Sometimes it works for other people. So um, um, when people would give me a hard time about not having kids, I would say, well, people keep telling us just to relax. And I'd like echo, you know, stupid advice you get and, and, you know, just, it'll just happen. And I say, mm-hmm. well, I know that I have a vagina and he has a penis, but what are we supposed to do with it? Could you draw me a picture? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, these people are the opposite people that would draw you a picture. And I would just make them kind of, un- okay, not kind of, I go full out, make them uncomfortable to the level that they made me uncomfortable. Sometimes I wouldn't say, you know, the anatomically correct words, but, you know, I would just make them incredibly uncomfortable. And then when they were uncomfortable, I was basically like, see, not helpful, is it? Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like you get all sorts of advice when you're in this yeah. situation. And some of it's helpful and some of it's not. And I know they have good hearts and they're trying to help, but 
after well, you hear think, it so many times, you're just like, really? <laughs> well, I think that, um, you know, one particular person in my life, you know, uh, we can go there cause we're both faith people, mm-hmm. um, to kind of delve into that. But, you know, people uh, would, you know, one woman told me I was a fallen woman because if I had mm-hmm. faith and I was righteous, then God would give me kids. And I, I know that was the inner workings of her brain or her prejudices. Right. But it came out in a very ugly way. And it was really interesting as I took those words, because it was somebody that, that means something to me, you know, which of course, that's the only reason it hurts. Right. And really kind of confronted my own ideas about, you know, God having my back. So share that part of yours. You know, how do we reconcile? We want a good thing. We don't get the good thing. How is that? Okay. Yeah. That's where faith comes in. Like that's the true definition of faith, right? Is, is believing in something or having hope in something. I mean, even just starting to desire to believe, right. That concept of having that faith and holding on to it, even when you don't get what you want, because our job is really just to take the steps that, that we feel impressed to take, uh, regardless of if you're religious or not, right. You know, in your heart, like this is the step that I'm supposed to take all of those 10 IUIs we were supposed to do have no idea why, um, other than, you know, I, I've learned the faith journey along the way of believing that God has my back, that it really is like, no matter what happens in this world, um, the most terrible thing I can think of that I could possibly think of is losing my husband. But even if that happened, I know that God would have my back that you can feel chaos and you can feel hurt and you can feel broken and still feel peace and still feel the strength from God. And that's what I really learned the most throughout that entire process is that even though things are not happening the way that I want them to, I mean, we, we actually did decide to do IVF. Um, we did that, uh, two months ago and I am just terrified of needles. Like I really had to work my way up to, to even asking God if I should do IVF, cause I just didn't think I could do it. And I did 30 injections in 12 days, which For someone who's terrified of needles, the only way I got through that is by leaning on my faith and, and to not have it work. So about a month ago, we found out that it didn't work after all of the pain and all of the heartache and all of the hard to get to that. It didn't work. Right. And that was really, really crushing. But once again, in that moment, when you're, when you're on your knees, when you feel like you can't go on, that is when you can find that inner strength or turn to God and say, you know, please give me that peace. Please give me that strength. And you will always find it over and over and over again. I've seen that. And I know you've probably seen that in your life as well, is that there are times where everything feels like it's falling apart around you, but you can still have that inner peace. Absolutely. So, yeah, I always tell people the story is not that my husband got hit by a bus or had a massive heart attack and died in my arms or that I was in a wheelchair. Our daughter died. The story is that we were happy. Yeah. You know, but we, we want to hear, okay, so why did you decide to go from the IUIs, which new word for me, um, to the IVF when that was something you originally opposed to? Was that just like, it was finally time to try that or you've done more research? What was the turning point for you? Yeah, we... I think all of the above, right? Like I had to be in a place to have the courage to do it. Um, and I, it's amazing how you get set up in life to accomplish even bigger things. And I had found out that, um, I had Crohn's disease kind of gosh, like 10 years ago or something like that. And they put me on Humira, which is an injection every two weeks. And so I, I kind of got used to needles a little Interesting. bit more okay. yeah. and it helped to set me up. And so after that point, I was like, okay, I'm doing needles every two weeks. Like that sounded bad, <laughs> but I, you know, I'm, we all I'm know you and your Albuquerque <laughs> crunchy. No, I'm just eating the crunchy, exactly. like all natural. And Mac yes, is not all natural. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I was, I was getting used to the needles and I had some other health conditions that I had to kind of get used to pain a little bit more and really understand the difference between uncomfortable and pain. And all these things kind of set me up to have the courage to even ask God if that was the right step. I hadn't up to that point, like even we were doing IUI, it was like, oh yeah, yeah, let's just do IUI instead of IVF. I had never asked God or asked myself if that was going to be the right, right step for me. And so when I finally did, it was like, 
I, I'd gotten to a point where I'm like, I don't even want kids anymore. I don't, I don't want kids. Like they look messy. They, you know, they just, <laughs> you have to worry about them for 18 years. Like I just, no, told myself. not just 18 years. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Their whole life. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, my son is 19 and, and I'm praying harder for him than I have. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm praying hard, probably not harder than I've ever prayed for him, but yeah, I mean, I'm, he's technically an adult and, oh, you know, yeah. Yeah. Stop then. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I had gotten to that point where I'm like, no, I don't, I don't really want kids. And my friend, she looked at me straight face. She's like, do you, do you really believe that? Or are you just trying to avoid that next step? And I said, ah, crap. <laughs> right. And then, you know, it's something you've, um, you've wanted. And especially when we've been raised in, um, faith, we you know the Bible it's, you know, that is the big purpose of life is to have children and so it's very hard to let something like that go, you yeah. know? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I realized it was just my way of trying to. It's a coping strategy. Yeah. Yeah. And right. so when I finally asked, it was like, yep. And everything lined up, like, um, the insurance that my husband has completely paid for the $20,000 procedure, $20,000, 20,000. Yeah. yeah, it's insane. And, uh, you know, I mean, there was just so many pieces that had lined up perfectly that it was like, this is the path that we're supposed to be on. Well, that's nice of insurance to do that because, you know, that costs them money. Yeah. You know, have babies, babies are not cheap and the best thing ever. So, um, I'm sorry for your recent loss. That's really hard. And it, and it is, it is a loss. I, I had somebody one time say, Oh, you know, it's not the same as a miscarriage. I'm like, no, it's exactly the same oh, as yeah. a miscarriage. Yeah. Same, we, same thing. It didn't take, but the sperm and the egg came together. They made, they, they shortened the journey. Yeah. There will be like in the Petri dish, they had them, you know, start right. multiplying and all that. We had pictures of our little embryo. We knew it was a girl. Like, I mean, oh. just, it was really, really crushing. Have you, have you named that little girl or is that too sacred? Um, we have a name for our little girl, but it wasn't her name. Like we okay. didn't feel like we just called it peanut. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. So. <laughs> not, you're not going to technically legally name your child peanut. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. <laughs> well, every, every time we got pregnant, cause the only name we had definitively decided upon was Nathaniel, which okay. means gift of God. So, okay. and my husband is Nathan. So that we thought that was just like, Perfect. So it's the only name that we'd for sure pick. So every pregnancy was like, is this Nathaniel? Is this Nathaniel? So technically Nathaniel is Nathaniel the sixth, but um, (laughs) (laughs) I've gone back and and given the other babies names, you know, and I don't always share that, you know, because, you know, yeah, you know, it's, but, you know, in our family, we, we kind of have, it's, it's interesting, the different bonds and connections you have to something that you know, yeah. a lot of people wouldn't even consider a real thing, uh-huh. but you know, um, having, having had children and gone through a different journey, but similar than the loss, my heart really goes out to you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I'm going to ask you a totally inappropriate question. Let's do it. Okay. Cause I'm sure there are people that are out there. People would always say to me, well, you could just adopt. Uh-huh. So what's your answer to that? Yep. Again, this is the question people would always just be like, well, just adopt. Oh yeah. That always comes up. And yeah. I'm going to tell you, I have nothing against adoption whatsoever. It just never was the right step for us. I mean, mm-hmm. if God had said adopt 10 years ago, oh, we would have done it in a heartbeat. Like my, my husband, his, he has his stepdad that's raising him like, and he would have adopted him by now if he wasn't in, you know, older. Kind of an thing. adult. Right. Yeah. Right. And so we, we love the idea of adoption. It's just, that's not the path we're meant to be down. And I, I would have loved to have that answer so many years ago, or even now, if God said, do it, let, yeah, I would totally do it, but it's just not what we feel impressed to do. You know, it's funny. Cause I would say people, well, I'm like, I've been down to the pound and there were no kids <laughs> and they'd be like, what? And you know, I'd be like, no, you said just adopt. So I went down to the humane society and I looked around and there were no kids there. There were just dogs and cats. And, you know, treating it as casually as just go adopt, you know, um, one, it takes money Mm -hmm. and I wanted to be able to look my kid in the eye and say, you were my child. 
however it is that I got that child. And every friend that I have that's adopted has that story. And I've filled out the paperwork more than once Mm. and every time, but gotten a no. And now at this point in my life, I'm 48. So I am past any let's make babies, (laughs) you know, or start from scratch. And it's been interesting to me to see how many nieces and nephews, both those that are actually legally related to me and those that are not, but they are mine. They are my niece. They are my nephew, one particularly young lady. Um, we're actually going through the steps to, if anything happens to her, her people are taking care of her, that we would legally be her, her guardians, you know? So, you know, it's, it's been interesting to see that my life is very full of children, yeah. you know, but you know, you never, I'm giving you permission, you know, to, you never quite get over not getting a good thing, but you know, that's where the love is. That's where the Mm -hmm. faith is, right. That's where we're moving through. And, um, you said something really interesting that I'd love to just explore a little bit more. Um, you talked about the difference between being uncomfortable and, um, in pain. Mm -hmm. Okay. That, I think that's a really profound thing. So give us more, give us more, Elise. Absolutely. Um, I've realized the power of my words lately and, you know, even just that need and can't, and, you know, those types of words, we kind of think of like, oh, we shouldn't even shouldn't, right. We don't want to say those things because I can't say that because <laughs> yeah, we will create it or whatever. Right? right. Right. Well, as I've been, you know, working with my mindset coach on this whole fertility journey and my business and everything, right. Um, that, uh, I have realized that everything in my life, like I get a headache, it's pain. I, you know, bump my t- toe on a couch, <laughs> it's pain. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And I never realized that the, the kinds of words that we use will actually make things worse or better, even in the difference between pain and uncomfortable. And so my husband started asking me, he's like, okay, is your headache actual pain or is it uncomfortable? And I was like, wow, it's uncomfortable. And he's like, you can deal with uncomfortable. And so when we started the injections, it was like, okay, it's a moment in time and it's just uncomfortable. I'm not like screaming in pain, although some injections I did scream in pain, but it was a moment in time. And to know the difference between uncomfortable and pain for me was huge because then everybody, everything started to come into more of the uncomfortable category because pain was like, oh, if it's painful, I can't do it. But if it's uncomfortable, I can do it. And so that was a huge shift in my mindset. And then I started to see it in other ways, like even emotional, uncomfortable versus emotional pain. There's a huge difference in how you respond to it, how you look at it and what happens because of it. Yeah. So, so true. I mean, I was raised as a kid being told you're a kid, you don't have real feelings. You know, your feelings aren't real. And, you know, that came back to, to bite me later in life to be like, wait, outside of the emotion of grief, there was no more intensity of feelings than I had as a child, you know, anger, resentment, hurt, pain, right. Uh, you know, those kinds of things. And we can discount ourselves too far, or we can, uh, I don't know quite what the right phrasing would be for what you were experiencing, but anything unpleasant, you put the same one to 10 on it. Yeah. And having to learn how to kind of break that out. Um, I know that I have a young lady in my life that I'm going to be having listening to that segment. <laughs> I'll be like, listen to this, right? You know, <laughs> it's, it's, well, there, there is a difference. And I think it is helpful. Um, both of my boys have Tourette's and somebody who knew a lot about Tourette's, who is a therapist said, because there's that reaction, you know, the unpleasantness to ask when that's happening on a scale of one to 10 how bad is this? You know, how bad is the, because their brain is flooded with adrenaline, you know, Mm -hmm. cortisol when they're having a Tourette's response. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's helpful for any of us just to be like, okay. And now when I go to the doctor and they're like on a scale of one to 10, how bad is your pain? And I'm like, you mean like passing out or I look down and there's blood like (laughs) what level? (laughs) So I gotta, I gotta, gotta work on that a little bit because my 10 is I'm passing out, Mm -hmm. 
if I've driven over there, I'm clearly not in that much pain. I guess I'll just go home. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what to say. So yeah, um, those are definitely, um, I, I think that's a, a very interesting concept of how as humans, we do want to avoid pain yeah. and we all can work on our resiliency muscles to categorize those better and our, the m- power of the mind to help us work through those. Yeah. Yeah. Because if it's painful, it's like, there's no way that I could do it. If I thought of those injections as painful, then to do that every single day for 12 weeks, no way I couldn't do that. But if I thought of it as a small moment of time, and it's just uncomfortable for that moment of time, I can do that. And we can do that with anything in our lives is that if you can kind of recategorize it to empower you, that's where you can get that power. Yeah. Well, I will tell you, and I'm going to put it out there as when you get to give birth contractions are just a moment in time. You know, you've, we've seen all this stuff of, Oh, it's so terrible. And I actually found it to be like, and this is why I've had periods. It was very empowering to see what that muscle working out each month. Right. And Mm -hmm. that you know, um, discomfort to pain. I actually had a history of cysts and things like that. So it made my periods worse. Mm-hmm. Um, that this is why it's been doing all this practice. Wow. This is why it's been doing it and how empowering it felt to literally feel my son pushing at the top of the uterine cavity, right. Or right wall pushing and my husband rubbing my back as he was crowning wow. and it was like this moment right here, we're a family. Wow. And so I've had, a, I've had friends who've asked me, like, tell me the real deal. Is it, is it really worth it? Like, and they want me to tell them, Oh, it's hell. Just like you see in the movies, you know, the <laughs> woman screaming, you did this to me, you know, kind of thing. And it's like, no, I, it is, it is a miracle yeah. from inception to caring, which is where I would lose them you know, during the pregnancy to the delivery, it's a miracle. And the first time you hold your kid and you look in the, at them in the eyes, again, if you birthed or adopted, or Mm -hmm. I joke, sometimes I joke steal. Um, but (laughs) (laughs) you know, um, when you know that's your child and I believe that every child deserves to have people that raise them that say, I fought for you. I die for you. I love you. You know, however it is, they come to us. And that's why it's so sad when, you know, people say, oh, well, these people can't have a kid that want a kid. Yeah. I'm like, they want to raise kids, give them kids. <laughs> you know, there's so many that, I mean, your own life story shows that for whatever reason, they couldn't create a safe environment. And I just, I find that, how does that happen? Mm-hmm. right? There's so many people, you know, they start the journey wanting the kids, I assume. Right. Yeah. And it's just, it's heartbreaking, you know, yeah. it's work. Yeah, it is. It's emotional. It's spiritual. It's physical. It's, it's, it's all the things, but, but I have I, to tell you that, um, I, I appreciate you saying when, when I have that baby, I really appreciate that. We, we just had a miracle happen for us actually. Um, because of that failed IVF, we were able to do a biopsy and they don't usually do this type of biopsy until you have a failed IVF. And we got an answer that I think is going to change everything. Oh, yeah. Can you share that or is that too? Yeah, yeah, that's totally fine. So basically what, what they found is that my body is 17 hours off. I will never get pregnant on my own because by the time that the egg is released and, and the timing of the uterine wall, being able to accept that embryo, um, is not, not aligned. And so what they're going to do now is that in a couple months, we'll do that again. Cause we're taking a break for our anniversary. Right. 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 But, um, they're going to do another transfer where they transfer that embryo. Cause we already have, uh, four frozen embryos left. Um, they'll transfer the embryo and they'll do it 17 hours earlier than what they normally would. And they know with science, which is a miracle in and of itself, that that minute of when my body is ready to receive and hold on to that embryo. So I truly believe that it's going to happen. 
and it just makes me cry because you know science is so cool it is and so the miracle of birth is so cool and um you know it'll I know that I'm a better mom for the hard things I went through than I would have been I know that I am more willing to sacrifice and give up for the benefit of my home you know which is a whole system, like not just the people in it, but the whole thing. Right. Mm. Um, and I have, it doesn't seem to be holding me back in my career. Like everyone says children do. It's like, mm-hmm. no, they're my why. And I can't wait to hear the rest of the story. So you will have to reach back and let me know. So then we can do like a right? (laughs) Amen. Amen. A a win, a win. So, okay. My producer loves it when I cry. So congrats for making me cry. (laughs) And I'm sure this will help other people. And I love that you were willing to come on and share this when you're in the, the hard part, you know, the not having, and it takes so long. I mean, I know our journey was four years before we, we got our first kid from when we started trying to, you know, when we got our first kid and it seems like a decade and yours literally has been yeah, over years. a decade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so, um, it's probably felt like 25 years to you and yeah. dang, you're looking good for 50. <laughs> you know, I don't care how long anyone's been trying to have a baby, even if it's six months, you know, the heartache. And, and so I appreciate you sharing your story and allowing me to share mine. And my heart goes out for everything you've been through. Too. Oh, it's all, it's all, it's all good. Right. Cause, um, it, it works. And, and, uh, I love what you said that, you know, it's, it's not a competition, right? It doesn't matter how long your journey is or how long your heartache is. Yeah. Um, you know, people will say to me, well, you know, cause I had seven miscarriages and a baby that died. They're like, well, I only had five miscarriages. And I'm like, only, did you just minimize yeah. something so painful? No, 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 mm-hmm. no. Cause if I'd only had two, that's still two. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And so I even did it to myself. The only, well, if I had what, what is that with the English language? Cause the other, the other thing would be to say just, which mm-hmm. in sign language doesn't exist. I love that. You can't minimize that way. Wow. Yeah. And only means alone. Huh. So now I have a linguistic homework for myself to go do, but in English, that's so readily that we minimize mm-hmm. and other that's very interesting linguistically, isn't it? Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. Go ask your coach and report back. awesome um thank you elise for going there being in your heart and sharing things when it's you know not the victorious end of the story but leaving people with a a hopeful um you know for those listening in um wonderful message that for those in this journey and teaching me new words Absolutely. You too. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we're doing. We're doing, we're sharing, sharing deep things to help people feel more resilient and hopeful in their own lives. So thank you, Elise, for being on this episode of Share Your Hawks. The Share Your Hotness podcast is produced by Van Garrett Media. Lita Green is the host and creator of the podcast. Chris Van Garrett is the editor, producer, and music director. Shayla Dawn is our research coordinator. Join us next week for another episode of the Share Your Hotness podcast. Thanks for listening. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media.